Thank you, everyone, for joining another episode of Shred's Takes. Uh, I'm your host, Michael Shredder. And today's episode seven, we're, you know, we're going to talk about some really interesting stuff. And I think people are going to really enjoy the debates that are going to be sprung up within this episode. First, I want to thank you guys all for following the new Instagram account, uh, Shred's Podcasts. Um, it's a new platform used for this podcast service, so appreciate that. I also want to give a shout out to Max Offsetter and JP Serenicki's band Wave. Uh, they're a new and upcoming band. Uh, they produced a song called Dark Side. Uh, it's a very, very good band, and they're up and coming. They work really hard. You know, they try to produce more songs and produce a really good album coming up. So give them a follow on the Instagram if you guys can. Anyway, so today I was thinking about talking about, you know, who I think the greatest coach in NBA history is. And this is a question I think that doesn't get debated enough because I think people put it to rest that Phil Jackson's the greatest coach of all time. And I think that if you look at the credentials, you may say that. Um, but I don't believe that Phil Jackson's the best coach of all time. I think he's definitely one of the greatest. But I think that he hasn't had enough teams with – crazy amount with not very good talent to prove to me that he is at that upper echelon. Pat Riley, for example, is my pick for the best coach of all time. He's won six championships. Yes, he won five with Magic and Kareem. But he won a championship with Dwayne Wade and a squad that was nowhere better than the Dallas Mavericks. Shaquille O'Neal was not anywhere near the prime Shaquille O'Neal form that he was when Phil Jackson was coaching him with the Lakers. And Dwayne Wade was your only really good, legitimate option. And you beat the Mavericks in six games, beat the Pistons the series before that. You know, I, I, I think that proves a lot to how Pat Riley is a coach. And you can even look at the 90s about the Knicks. The Knicks, for example, were Pat Ewing and no one else, really. You can say John Starks was a legit player. Sure, he's not a Hall of Famer. Um, he was a good player. I mean, nothing against John Starks. But their team won by beating you up on defense, using their strength. And that's all a testament to him. He knew how to take that talent and make them as legitimate as they could be. And, yeah, he may not have won as many championships as Phil Jackson. But the moment that Phil Jackson didn't have Michael Jordan in, in his you know, sphere and just had Scottie Pippen and the rest of that team, yeah, they were really good. But they lost to the – the Knicks that year you know they, they lost in seven games to the Knicks and you know they lost in six games when Jordan was there they were a legitimate tests for them and they got to you know one finals appearance under him against the Rockets and they really should have won that series they lost in seven games had a three games to two lead so that shows you you know in my opinion how good of a coach he is because that Knicks team was not that talented whatsoever. And the fact that they got to Eastern Conference Finals and NBH Finals with that talent, with just Patrick Ewing being the only really good legitimate option in their team, shows how good of a coach Pat Riley is for sure. And I think also the fact that Pat Riley is able to, with the Lakers, be able to create that showtime kind of offense and still keep Kareem happy, James Worthy happy, Magic was magic, but, you know, keeping the other guys happy is definitely a big testament to coaching. You know, there's a lot of times people look at, you know, a guy like Steve Kerr and say he's a great coach, which he is. He's a phenomenal coach in, in any kind of sense of the word. Great, great coach right now. 
But for example, a lot of guys saying, oh, it's hard to coach that kind of talent. And I think that, like, you know, the talent of having Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, those guys. Well, I just use an example with the Cavaliers and how they had guys such as LeBron, Kyrie, and Kevin Love. And they were coached by David Blatt and Tyron Lue. And they went to the finals every year. LeBron James took a piss poor team to the finals in 2015 and in 2018. And I do not believe that it was coaching that did that. I believe it was LeBron James. If you have great players, you don't necessarily need phenomenal coaching. It helps for sure. It does help. Don't get me wrong. But it doesn't necessarily make or break the player. The player is good enough that he can carry a team by himself. He's going to do that. And if you look at the Cavs teams those years, I don't believe David, David Black did nothing in my opinion, did nothing. And you had a Cavs team led by LeBron James and Matthew Delvadova that could have beaten the Warriors if, in my opinion, LeBron um, got a little bit more help. If they had a little bit more help that series, they would have won that series. They lost in six games and had two games to one lead. And LeBron averaged in that series like 33 points, 34 points a game, um, 12 rebounds, and like 11 assists. You know, and that is not a testament to the coach, though, in that situation. That's a testament to how great a player he is. Jordan was at, you know, I think it was great that he got put in the tutelage and had to play with others in terms of the triangle, right? You saw that in Jordan documentary, how he went from being on the Doug Collins offense where he got the ball wherever he wanted and averaged, you know, 35 points a game. He had to go average, you know, 30 with the Phil Jackson offense. But when it came to the finals time, he gave him the damn ball and, you know, made him – and Jordan still took advantage of his greatness. Phil Jackson is obviously an unbelievable coach. And many people are going to say he's the best coach of all time because of his credentials. But I am big on the fact of saying that Pat Riley, I think, is the best coach because I think he took – with all his talent that he's accumulated outside of the Lakers, he's done good things and gotten at his teams far without necessarily having the talent that he needed. And Phil Jackson, in my opinion, again, he hasn't really shown me because he hasn't had an opportunity, obviously, to have that kind of talent. But I think that that's something you have to look at. Pat Riley was an unbelievable coach back in that time. And I think he really proved with the Knicks and the Heat that you can win a lot of games without necessarily having the great talent. You just have to have a good philosophy. You have to have one guy that's at least good. You know, Dwayne Wade is one of the best shooting guards of all time, Pat. Patrick Ewing is an under wasn't underachieving, but one of the all-time great centers. And he's underachieving just because of Jordan. But, you know, he got to the NBA Finals that year that Jordan was out and lost to Kareem. But, you know, that's you know, that's the important piece there is I'm sorry, he lost to Akeem. I think I just said Kareem. Akeem. And that's just the one piece to take away from it is that I think that. You look at a guy like Red Auerbach. Yeah, he won a lot of championships, but who were the really good teams back then? Lakers and the Celtics? Celtics had a lot better talent than the Lakers did. They did. They had like five Hall of Famers on their team that year. And they won 11 out of 12 championships. Like Will Chamberlain just wasn't good enough to win the championships. It was a player thing. It wasn't a coaching philosophy. So I, I, I think that's just something you guys all have to take into account is the fact that when you're looking at the greatest coach of all time, you can't just look at – how many championships they won necessarily because you have to look at the players they've had during their entire times as coach. 
if you see they've had a lot of great talent and, and you know, top 10 of all time kind of talent as Phil Jackson had. He had Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, a top 20 player in Scottie Pippen, and the best player of all time in Michael Jordan. You know, are they really? Is he really the best, best coach of all time? Next thing I wanted to talk about was obviously everyone who's been, who's been watching the Jordan documentaries has taken a lot of interesting notes from it and interesting in the sense of learning about Michael Jordan's mentality, as I spoke about last week, and the way he leads. But I think also the fact that they learned how great the supporting casts were actually and what they really meant to, meant to Michael, but also how valuable a guy like Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman were and how their skill sets can really make a team well built for the future. In addition to that, though, you also have a lot of guys who learned, I think, that there was a lot of animosity between the players and the general managers and the owners of the team. And I think that really speaks to the flaws that are always within every good team, but the flaws are always meant to build the team stronger. And I think that showing that the progression of how Michael went through this thing and him opening up his past has allowed a lot of younger athletes and even guys of my dad's age to really understand what Jordan was like as a person and as a player and how he justified what he did. And I think that was all really interesting and good. But I think there are a lot of other important takeaways to take away from, you know, this documentary central. You know, obviously they had, there's two episodes coming out tonight that are probably going to have different messages in them. But I think the big thing is, you know, if you want to be great, obviously, it's not just about hard work. It's about, you know, holding your teammates accountable to it. And it's in the sense of you need to show them through words and actions that you really are all about, you know, that kind of leadership. If you want to be a tough-minded leader, you got to make sure you're working harder than the other guys on your team. You can't have some other guy working harder than you and saying that you're, you know, you expect them to win, expect them to do this, this, and this when you're not putting the work ethic in. That's an obvious takeaway. I think there's other takeaways too, for sure, in a sense of, you know, that there's always going to be some sort of challenge in your way in terms of a team that you just can't overcome for a while. But if you have the right team and the right culture and you have the right mindset, you're able to come over that challenge. It's the same thing in just life if you're not an athlete. You're able to come over a lot of obstacles and challenges by looking at it in different ways. How am I going to overcome this challenge? It has, I've worked really hard, but I haven't overcome it yet. So what am I going to do? Do I have to get smarter? Do I have to get better people around me to overcome the challenge? Do I have to approach the challenge in a new way? Do I have to see what the weaknesses within that obstacle are so I can overcome it? And I think a lot of times when people look at challenges, they say, okay, I'm going to work as hard as I can, and that's going to make me overcome the challenge. That's one way to do it, of course. Of course, hard work you know, is the thing that you should always be doing. But I think it's also about improving your mind and improving your intelligence that allows you to observe what that challenge entails and how you can overcome that challenge to be better equipped to handle that situation that you're facing within your life and in your athletic career. Because it's not just being an athlete that's the important piece of this. It's about life in general, right? And a lot of times people are saying, oh, this is a basketball document. It has to only apply to athletes. And that doesn't say have to. And athletes also aren't going to be playing basketball or football or lacrosse or baseball forever. They're just not going to. 
So, you know, being able to take those kind of messages and saying, you know, I can't necessarily just think that I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to overcome every challenge. You have to understand that you have to build some sort of intelligence and you have to think about the process more deeply and you have to be able to approach it in a different light that allows you to manipulate that challenge to get your gains from it, if that makes sense. Because you're, you're, what you're doing is you're manipulating the situation because you have mapped out how hard you need to work and what the challenge entails and what things you need to overcome that challenge. So then when you're putting that work ethic in, you understand where you need to get better and where you need to grow as a person or if, it, if in case you're an athlete, as an athlete in order to beat that challenge. And for Jordan, you know, it was the Pistons and the Knicks that were big challenges to him. Um, you would say that maybe the, the teams in the West were, but the East was the challenge for him. And, you know, he had the Pacers as well and the Sixers and teams like that. And, you know, the Magic as well. I forgot about them. And you know, they were all challenges for him. They were an easy cupcake series. And, you know, he learned to overcome the Pistons from a sense of he wasn't just working harder. He became smarter and he learned what he needed to specifically work on to get past that team. He, he was working his tail off no matter what, but he knew he needed to get stronger. He needed to get smarter. He needed to figure out how to get in his spots better, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, he needed to figure out, okay, maybe I can't go into this side of the basket because of the fact that, you know, you have guys that necessarily are, you know, bigger and stronger. They're going to hit me hard. I have to be able to be stronger in that situation. Or I got to be able to shoot my jumper more because they're going to be up all on me and I got to be able to use more fakes. If Dennis Robbins guarded me, I got to be able to use fakes. I got to be able to get him in the air. I got to use my skill rather than maybe my athleticism that day. That's kind of how he approached it. And that's how he went through some kind of entire challenges that he faced. He always approached it from, all right, I'm going to work harder than you. You know, especially when he lost to Orlando, when he came back out of shape from playing baseball. You know, he, he came back and he – he basically did the Space Jam thing and created the Jordan Dome in order to get himself better prepared for the Magic. And it wasn't, but then he brought people for pickup. It was completely an intelligence piece there. He was seeing which players, what they did well, and who he's going to take out the next year based on that. And a lot of players work their tails off to get to that point, but they don't necessarily understand who the players they're going against and what their strengths and weaknesses are. And that's the importance of always understanding the people that you're around with and the people that you're going against the strengths and weaknesses, because that will get you the advantage. And um, I think another thing I was going to talk about, too, was just there was a lot of talk about some armed robbery case within the New York Giants I wanted to bring about the NFL. And um, it's just a classic case of, you know, obviously the, the whole facts haven't been brought up yet. So, you know, these guys can be completely, you know, object, completely mis mistreated and whatever in the situation and, um, you know, not represented properly. But there is an arrest warrant out for them. And if it's, it's the truth, I just would be thinking, you know, you're getting money as being a rookie from the New York Giants and you're about to have a great NFL career, hopefully, for a team that I obviously support with a lot of passion. And if that's the case that he did rob a bank in, in Florida, that's just it's a shame to me because, you know, I, you know, I really hope he it, the facts didn't – and the police made a mistake and, you know, they just, they need to confess their mistake, but if they didn't make a mistake, then, you know, um, it, would, it would just be unfortunate because I think that guy had a lot of talent and from what I heard and read and it's just unfortunate. Another, another dent in New York sports as it is. And 
you know, I, I think it's, it's unfortunate. It's sad because I was obviously excited to see what the Giants could do this year. Did I think they were a playoff team this year? Yeah, I think they had a chance. I think they, they could have been. Um, you know, I, I think everyone, um, you know, who's young and has talent can be a playoff team. I think they had a chance if they did everything right this year, they could definitely be a playoff team. Um, like on the bubble, I mean. I don't mean like they would win the NFC East. I don't think they were that good. Um, but I think they could challenge some teams there, depending on how well Daniel Jones develops in the offseason. You never know. You know, and this is not an idiotic take because I think that, you know, you see the Cowboys in past years, they don't necessarily always come up ready to play and they crumble a lot in pressure. And it depends on how well Carson Wentz's health is during the year. If Carson Wentz is healthy, then I pick the Eagles to win the conference. I don't pick the Cowboys. But I think the Giants could be like a playoff like level kind of like test on the bubble because if they are able to be nine and seven in that conference, which is it's not out of the question to be nine and seven in the NFC East, you know, they could be a playoff team. They could be a playoff team. And, you know, I, I mean, realistically, they're probably not going to be a playoff team, but in my mind, I want them to be. And I said that they, they have a shot. I think that they still have a lot of struggles on the offensive side of the ball in terms of their offensive line. But if Daniel Jones comes out and develops, which I, I have confidence in Daniel Jones. I mean, yes, he, he fumbled the ball a lot, but I do have a lot of confidence in him, you know, to do a lot of different things. But, you know, it's more the fact that, like, I also want them to be a playoff team because I believe in them. So I just don't want to see anything bad about them in the media because, you know, I want them to be in the playoffs someday. I want them to be on that Super Bowl run they used to be with under Eli and make it the playoffs and whatever. And, you know, it's been a while. And obviously for New York fans, the only thing you really got good, good at Owen for you right now is the Yankees. And, you know, um, the Brooklyn Nets are not really anything to cheer for right now um, until KD comes back, obviously. And, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, you know, I think the Giants is just, you know, hopefully they're not having stupidity here occur and we'll see what occurs from there. But that's kind of my mindset when it comes to that, I guess, in a sense. But, um, and I got some other topics that some people want me to talk about. Uh, one person wanted me to talk about how the New York Knicks can make the playoffs. Um, yeah, I hate to ruin this person's bubble, but um, they're not going to be a playoff team when, this, when obviously, even if we have a new redo season because they just don't have enough talent. The only guys I would keep on that team legit if you want to build a playoff team around them is R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson. That's it. Not, nothing against Julius Randle, who's a very good player. Julius Randle deserves to be in a better situation. And that's, Julius Randle deserves to be like the second or third option on a playoff team. He's, he's, he's a really good player, but he's not a number one option on your playoff team. He's just not. You know, if you want to build a team around Julius Randle, that's not necessarily going to win you a championship. He's a good player. This is not saying that he's – he has great stats. He averages 18 points a game, you know, and gives you like 9, 10 rebounds. And he's, he's a good player. And, he, you know, he's very versatile. But he's not a guy you build your team around. You can build your team around – you can build a star-level team around having pieces like Mitchell Robinson and R.J. Barrett because R.J. Barrett could turn into be a very good star within the next couple of years. And Mitchell Robinson is a guy who blocks shots and rebounds at a really high level. And Mitchell Robinson has proven that he's a guy that you can keep in the mix. I, and a lot of people say, well, why don't you keep Frank Nindalakina? I personally don't believe in Frank Nindalakina's offense. I don't. He's a hard, he's a hard worker, good defender, you know. And maybe keep him as a bench guy. Um, he may be like one guy I would, I would understand if you wanted to keep him. But he's not a starting level point guard. He's a guy who comes off the bench if you want to bring some defense and some toughness. He's not a starting point guard. And that, in my opinion, is – so you have those three guys. 
You have to market yourself to build a superstar. And the way the Knicks have played this year, no one wants to go there. You have a corrupt owner, a corrupt front office, a coaching situation you don't really know about because Mike Miller's your interim head coach this year and Dave Fisdale is fired. So you don't necessarily know you have the great stability as a head coach. So the big thing you need to fix too, I think the number one thing is to get a superstar, you're going to have to get a stability in the sense of your front office with James Dolan maybe hopefully selling the team. But if not, James Dolan's got to get better pieces in the front office. And I think he'll be – I mean, James Dolan has done a decent job with the Rangers. Hopefully he'll be able to do that. I don't have a lot of confidence in James Dolan, but we'll see. The big thing, though, is you got to get a coach – who knows the Knicks culture and will help them push in the right direction. They'll make them tougher defensively. They'll at least use that young talent to make them competitive. They're not really that competitive right now. So if you want to see a plan for the playoffs, you have to get a coach that's going to get you guys to build a good culture. So then a superstar, even if they don't like James Dolan a whole lot, will still come into the Knicks situation and say, okay, I can play on this team and build them to be a championship-level team. That's kind of the way I look at it, and I think that's the important piece. It's a game. It's that you look at the Knicks, and they could be a playoff team if they got a really good star and a good coach. I think Mark Jackson would be a perfect fit for the Knicks if he wanted to take the job, right? I think Mark Jackson would be an unbelievable pick because he, he knows the Knicks culture. Um, he did have success in Golden State with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, and – I think that would just be, you know, a good way to go about it. You know, I didn't think Mike Miller did a bad job this year. If you want to keep him and see what he does, fine. But sometimes guys have one year wonders with the Knicks, and then you get rid of them. The only really legit good coach we've had in the last few years, and Mike D'Antoni is a phenomenal coach, but he did not do great with the Knicks. Mike Woodson did a great job with the Knicks, and now Mike Woodson's gone because you fired him for some reason. See, like, I don't understand that. And, you know, as Knicks fans, the, guys who, the guy who asked me the question is a huge Knicks fan himself, and – you know, I'm sorry. I don't know on who has the Knicks roster besides. I definitely, you know, keep Mitchell Robinson and R.J. Barrett. Some people say keep Frank Nidalke, and I personally say if you're going to keep him, he has to be a bench guy. Um, he can't be a starter because he's just not good enough. He's a great defender. I'll give him that. He's a very good defender. He is a atrocious offensive player. He's not a good offensive player. Probably like one 15-point game and the whole arena goes crazy if he has 15 points. If he comes back and he proves to me that he's a good offensive player when he comes back, then maybe. Because I think his defense is good enough and he's got talent. You know, I love the guy, how, how hard the guy plays. But it just pains me when he's not producing enough in the offensive end. Because the point guard nowadays has to be a scoring kind of mentality. That's really what it comes down to at the end of the day. And people might say, well, he does other things. Yeah, he plays defense. What else offensively does he do well? Is he a great passer? No, not really. Is he a good shooter? No. Is he good at finishing the paint? Eh, it's okay. But he is a good defender. I mean, that's the one thing he does bring positive. Mitchell Robinson, for example, though, is seven feet tall. Seven one, actually. And he's long, he's athletic, he blocks shots, and you can throw alley-oops to him, he dunks it, and he rebounds. He doesn't necessarily need to score 10 points to be effective on the court. Franklin Lakina, for a guy to invest in his stock more, has to prove that he's a more legitimate scoring option in the future. And that could be a really good plan for the next two. If he can do that, it's going to be easier to bring a marketable guy in because you don't really have a ton of great talent right now. And, you know, that's, that's just how it is at the end of the day. 
I think it's a five-year plan for the Knicks. You know, I don't think it's going to be a quick fix and it's going to be more frustrating years. But I think if these guys continue to develop and they get the right coach, you know, hopefully it's less. But legitimately, I think it's a five-year plan for the Knicks from now to get to the playoffs. Five years. I'll give it five years. And, you know, within within the same lines, you know, obviously people have read the news who keep up with the NBA, have the NBA team. They they believe by, I believe it's Tuesday, that 22 of the 30 teams are going to open up their facilities for players to come in for voluntary workouts. And if the season somehow is able to get underway within this two to four week, you know, waiting period that Adam Silver is going under, if the season somehow gets underway with no fans, but they're able to play games against each other, um, I think it's going to be really interesting because I think that that will be really good for a lot of the teams who have had chemistry issues this year. I think it'll be great for a team like the Clippers to get back in the gym and get some shots up and get the field again with the guys being healthy. And I think it'll be great for the Lakers to just rebuild that great chemistry they were having toward that end of season run before COVID happened and build that. In terms of the teams I think are going to be the best prepared moving forward, though, it's definitely going to be the Lakers because I think the Lakers have built a really good chemistry there. And I think LeBron is taking a great leadership role there and maybe better than he has in his whole career in terms of really making sure that everyone feels a part of the, of the process there. And that AD feels like he can be that number one scoring option, even LeBron's the best player of the team, and allowing him to feel comfortable in that because if they get in the playoffs against the Clippers, he can count on him to produce when he has to and do more stuff in the down the stretch. If LeBron's getting double teamed or whatever and he can't shoot that, AD can at least make a shot at the end of the game because he's gotten comfortable. Or, you know, Danny Green makes threes. Kyle Kuzma actually stays out of his own head and makes shots. You know, and you got Avery Bradley, who showed up the last time they played the Clippers. And Rondo's a decent piece. But the big problem with the Lakers, obviously, is going to come down to the depth of the backup point guard position. But Rondo has started to play better. And, you know, LeBron will be on, on the court for 30 minutes a game. So maybe 40 minutes. And... I think that the Lakers, in my opinion, will be the best prepared team. I saw the Lakers winning the NBA championship, despite the Clippers maybe being the most talented, because I, I just believe in LeBron and AD. I think that Kawhi and PG are great, are a great team. And they're going to be the future of the NBA once LeBron gets a little bit older, and they're going to win a decent amount of championships, hopefully, together. But um, I, I think the Lakers are just going to be better equipped to win a championship. They just are. They have a great defense, top five defense in the NBA. They have a top five offense in the NBA. They're really efficient. LeBron's playing out of his mind this year. So is NAD's having a great season. And a lot of guys who haven't had great seasons in the past are starting to step up more. And I think they have, they have guys who know their role. And you look at a team like Michael Jordan's Bulls. It was two great stars and, and a bunch of role players. That's what kind of LeBron's team is now. And they're playing well together. And they have a system. Yes, they go isolation. But LeBron gets everyone involved in that team. Mason Field wanted. And I think that's important. And I think that's really what's going to come down to. Yeah, you have the Clippers who go iso ball the entire time. But I think the fact that LeBron moves the ball and he doesn't have to, you know, score 35 points for him to win is something that's going to be very valuable in that series because then it's going to be really hard to guard a guy like LeBron because 
if he's throwing the ball around the court and penetrating, dishing to AD and penetrating, dishing to Kyle Kuzma and Danny Green and Avery Bradley and Rondo and Alex Caruso, you know, and guys like that, and making Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee feel like they have a presence in the game, which he does. That's going to be really difficult to guard, and that is difficult to guard. And I think that's a team that's going to be very well prepared after this period of time. And I think also, I think for a team like the Heats, they're going to be really prepared. And I think that because Eric Sposher is a very experienced coach, I think their culture is really good. Yeah, the Bucks are going to be the team to beat in the East, regardless when the season starts. But I think the Heat or the Celtics have a legitimate shot to knock them out. Um, I said the Celtics previously, and I said, I think I picked to win the East. But coming to think about more, I think the Heat also have a legitimate chance too, because I think the Heat are really long defensively. They have proven against Giannis that they can wall off and neutralize him to an extent. And, you know, I think that's an important piece is that you, know, you can't be ranking Giannis right now as the 27th best player to ever play basketball when he hasn't proven anything besides winning one MVP. He might win two. LeBron might win it this year. But you're telling me that Giannis is better than guys like Isaiah Thomas, Steve Nash, John Stockton? Tell me he's better than guys like that. He's better than Kevin McHale right now. I don't know. He hasn't, he hasn't accomplished enough. Will he be? Absolutely. He'll be one of the greatest players to ever play basketball if he's able to get his act together and, and shoot better, which he has shot better this year. I'll give him that. But talking about in playoff series when you ask him to, you know, he's unbelievable. Really, really dominant player, unbelievable talent. He's still really, really young. So he's got a lot of chances to grow. But I don't think you can't rank him so high yet because you need to pump the brakes in a sense because he's not there yet. You know, he hasn't proven enough in the playoffs to get me that sense. Max Kellerman says, oh, he, you know, he lost to Kawhi. That justifies him not being able to play. And I was talking about before I got cut off there was that, you know, if you if you're Giannis, you know you you don't get you know you don't get the right to be a top thirty player all time if you haven't won an NBA championship or proven to me that you can get to that championship level. If he won a championship this upcoming year, yeah, you give it to him because I think the fact that he overcame challenges is great. But if he loses in the Eastern Conference Finals again this year. Or the second round of these Eastern Conference Finals, you have to seriously look at this guy at you as like a wants it or not. I think he does, but the problem is it's going to come down to has he really fixed his jump shot enough? Has he done enough? And I think that really is what the important piece of it is. Just has he done enough, and will he do more that is needed to win a kind of championship game, and will he be able to? do more down the stretch to make himself a better player than a guy like LeBron James. Right now, he's not better than LeBron James. I'm sorry. Some people might say he's not better than LeBron James. He's a top five player in the game right now. Yes, I absolutely 100% agree with that. But do I believe that he's a guy that's going to take you over the top and win a championship? No, not yet until I see him beat teams in the Eastern Conference Finals. If he loses to the Celtics, if he loses to the Heat this year, 
he loses to the Raptors again. You're telling me that guy is – and it's, it's not because he, I don't think he's not a clutch player, but it's because he's not making jump shots and they force him to do what he wants. I don't know, you know, and I think a team like the Heat and the Celtics can understand him well. But don't – I'm saying, you know, like those teams are like my two options, but Toronto's still a legitimate option. Philly could be dangerous if Philly can get out of the first round. Philly plays the Bucs. I actually think they could beat the Bucs easily. But I don't believe the 76ers are right now equipped to get out of the first round because I think they're too immature. And I don't think they're ever going to really going to be a great team unless they start figuring out their maturity issues. They're just not going to be. You know, you might have to get rid of one of the superstars to make them better. And I don't think it would be Joel Embiid. I think you would have to get rid of Ben Simmons and give him his own team. You know, because their, their style just doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's proven – doesn't work because there's not enough spacing on the court for Ben Simmons to do what he wants to do because he doesn't shoot. So he needs to get in the rim and get to the basket, score or pass it out to his teammates. And Joel Embiid just stands in the paint because he's a great post player and a great 15 foot base up guy. And you're telling him, okay, you know, go shoot threes. That's not where Joel Embiid's effective. So that team's going to challenge the Bucks. Yeah, they can challenge the Bucks, but they're too immature. And I don't think they're put in the right positions to succeed. So legitimately, I think that the teams that are ready to be, after this quarantine, if they get – are the Lakers, I think are going to be the, the best in the West. Clippers will be right behind them. Those are the top two there. And I think in the East, the Heat are going to be a dangerous team coming out of this, as the Celtics are, and the Raptors to the throne of the Bucks. And I really legitimately believe in those kind of teams. I think they're a lot better than what people think. And teams that are actually very dangerous. I mean, I just think that they're – they're dangerous teams, and they're able to do a lot of different kind of stuff that will give the Bucks issues. They all have different kind of styles they can put on them, and I think it will be very interesting to see what happens. You know, Giannis didn't necessarily play well when he went up to the, up at Toronto, and I think it's just going to be interesting to see what happens overall, in my opinion. So I appreciate you guys listening in again. Um, Keep following the Instagram for more content coming out. It's a Friday, Sunday podcast show I'm doing weekly. And make sure that you guys are also following uh, Wave on Instagram too. They're, it's W4VE. They're a new band. They post a lot of interesting content. If you guys like music, follow them. Um, you know, my good buddy is one of the band members. So, you know, definitely follow them. But you know, continually when I post stuff, uh, ask me questions too, you know, definitely ask me stuff that you guys want me to talk about next week as well. So I have more content that you guys want to talk about and actually like are interested in. So I appreciate you guys listening in and definitely uh, keeping track for the episodes next week, but you know, definitely continue to shoot me questions and that kind of stuff. So thank you.